The uh, Old Testament reading for this morning is taken from the book of Jonah, a story which I think um, we're familiar with beginning in our youngest days of Sunday school. Um, It's particularly appropriate given this morning's theme, and so we'll hear the opening nine verses from the third chapter of the, the book, the story of uh, the reluctant prophet Jonah. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and preach to it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and reluctantly went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, a three-day journey in extent. And Jonah began to enter the city on the first day's walk. Then he cried out and he said, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. So the people of Nineveh believed God, proclaimed a fast, and put on sackcloth from the greatest to the least of them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and laid aside his robes, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes And he caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and cry mightily to God, Yes, let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence That is in his hands. Who can tell if God will turn and relent and turn away from his fierce anger so that we may not perish? Here ends this reading from God's holy word. The New Testament reading this morning comes from the gospel. According to Matthew in the 11th chapter, beginning at verse 20 and continuing through verse 24. Again, I invite you to listen for a word from the Lord as it is there written. Then he, Jesus, began to reproach the cities in which most of his deeds of power had been done because they did not repent. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For if the deeds of power done in you had had been done in Tyre or Sidon, they would have repented long ago in sackcloth and ashes. But I tell you, on the day of judgment, it will be more tolerable for Tyre and Sidon than for you. And you, Capernaum, will you be exalted to heaven? No, you will be brought down to Hades. For if the deeds of power done in you had been done in Sodom... It would, have been, it would have remained until this day. But I tell you, 
that on the day of judgment it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom than for you. Here ends this reading from God's holy word. So if it weren't warm enough already, here's a fire and brimstone sermon for you. Well, as fire and brimstone as this Presbyterian preacher gets, I guess. As I consulted the uh, Revised Common Lectionary for this Sunday in Ordinary Time, I was drawn to, uh, to the appointed gospel reading for the day, in large part because it called for a reading with several verses clipped out of the middle of it. And I just had to know, because that's the kind of guy I am, what the editors didn't want us to read. There are other faith traditions within the Christian family of denominations which prepare for their worshipers aids to worship, they call them. These include small booklets that contain in them the prayers, the responses, and the scripture readings for the service. You've probably been in a church where they have these at one point or another. Ordinarily, in these traditions, you will find this booklet in the pew, perhaps beside a hymn book, but not beside a Bible. One of the hallmarks of the Reformation was the translation and the publication of the Bible in the language of the people, democratizing the word of God from the grip of the Latin religious establishment. Doing so was a bold and risky move as the reformers were well aware of the inherent risk of misinterpreting God's word and will. But they understood what scripture itself meant when it warns, with great power comes great responsibility. And so they set themselves to teaching about the scriptures while allowing the people to read the words for themselves. Now, I have to admit that I am a bit irked that 500 years on now, there are those in positions of power who believe it is their solemn responsibility to protect us in some way from the word of God. I believe that the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth is found in the pages of scripture. The story of God and of God's people is often a messy one. I remember a seminary professor reflecting on the composition of the books of the Bible and observing that if he was gonna sit down and invent this fable about a, a divine being and the relationship between that divine being and the people that were made to worship this divine being, that his work of fiction would be a whole lot tidier than what we have in the Bible. What we find then when we open the pages of this great divinely inspired work is sometimes a bit rough sometimes even raw. But just because it's uncomfortable does not excuse us from hearing it. In fact, the very opposite may be true. We may need to hear the uncomfortable truths more than we need to hear the comfortable ones. 
So then, with that pulpit editorial out of the way, let's now have a look at these redacted verses from the lectionary-appointed reading from the Gospel according to Matthew. What we have here, when we read these verses, is a warning. We read about a warning by Jesus to, and a chastisement of, by Jesus of, the people of God who are dwelling in the promised land. And not just the promised land, but specifically in his greater neighborhood. In this book's story following the arrest of his kinsman, John the Baptist, Jesus withdraws from Nazareth and makes his home a few miles away in Capernaum. And for your reference, the map of that region is on the cover of this morning's bulletin. From there, that's what the arrows and the lines are on the map, he went throughout all the region of Galilee, teaching, preaching, and healing those who were brought to him. His words and his deeds drew large crowds before long, as many were eager to receive something from him. But by the middle of the 11th chapter of this gospel, Jesus was looking for something from them. Repentance. He wanted to see a change in the hearts of the people, in the ch a change in the hearts of his people, the people of Israel to whom he had been ministering. A change like had happened in Nineveh in the days of Jonah. He longed to see revival among the people as they accepted his teaching that the kingdom of God was near, but alas, he wasn't seeing much evidence to that effect. Therefore, he issues this dire warning we hear in these omitted verses of our lectionary reading. Using a formula familiar to those who knew the Hebrew scriptures, one that had been used by prophets from and to the Israelites for generations before, he tells them, woe unto you, my people. For you have still not changed your ways. Despite the mighty deeds of power God has demonstrated through Jesus, the ways of the people were unaltered. Yes, those who were directly impacted by his healings had undoubtedly had their lives forever changed. But the whole of the people, those who were eyewitnesses to his healings, as well as all those who had heard the reports of what Jesus had done, they remain unchanged. It should not be that way, Jesus asserts. Had the Gentiles in the surrounding regions been the ones who had benefited from these miracles, they would have understood the power of the divine at work. And having a healthy respect and a well-deserved fear of the Lord, they would have sought to get right with the man before any of that power turned malevolent. But sadly... This was not the case with God's own chosen people. Perhaps one of the reasons behind the editor's decision to omit these verses from the reading of this gospel passage were that they could easily be interpreted as a warning to and a chastisement of the people of God dwelling throughout the world today. In other words, a harsh word of rebuke for the church. So, people of God, 
Is it still all take and no give? Have we taken God for granted? Have we downplayed his power? Have we forgotten that the covenant he made with his people contained provisions for curses as well as for blessings? These are hard questions, I know, but they deserve to be addressed. Nay, they must be addressed if we are to be followers of Jesus in more than simply name. To begin with then, how much do we look like the people who were then dwelling in Chorazin, Bethsaida, and Capernaum? Physically, perhaps not so much, but spiritually, perhaps more than a little. For like them, God has been doing great deeds of power right here in our midst. Though no longer in the form of Jesus' flesh, he has nonetheless been faithful to the promises that we would not be left orphans at the departure of the Messiah. His presence has continued to be with us in our midst for those with ears to hear and eyes to see. And yet, for all that, we still miss so much. C.S. Lewis wrote a whole book entitled Miracles, in which he takes a, a philosophical approach to discussing the nature, even the possibility itself, of there being supernatural events that occur and are beyond the explanation of a scientific understanding of the laws of nature. As Christians, I would hope that you all believe that the gospel accounts of these occurrences which Jesus has demonstrated can be explained only through having a belief in the authority, the ability, and the will of our triune God to intervene in human affairs in a miraculous way. I say this despite knowing that there are those who call themselves followers of Christ only on account of his teachings and his championing of the golden rule. Woe unto you, Chorazin. If, however, our trust in God is more than just about the good feelings evoked in us by the words of an itinerant first-century rabbi, and we feel compelled to believe that God showed forth many deeds of power through Jesus, then what's to keep us from believing that God continues to possess the ability and the will to do such right up until today? And if we do hold to that unpopular and very countercultural opinion, then what's to keep us from observing, cataloging, and celebrating those great deeds of power which God continues to do? And finally, if we do take note, we should also take heed, for that was the greatest mistake the people of God were making in Jesus' day. The Almighty was pouring out his blessings upon his people. He was healing the sick, cleansing the lepers, restoring sight to the blind, freeing the oppressed, even raising those who were sleeping in the bonds of death. And collectively, the nation's response was, so what? That did not seem to sit well with the Lord. So a good question we might ask of ourselves in the wake of our belief in God's history of demonstrating great deeds of power then and now is what has changed or what is different? That is the re beginning of repentance.
we can sense what has changed from these works of wonders. Families reconciled, addictions curbed, untreatable conditions cured. We can see the change that has been wrought in the lives of these people, and it is right to give our thanks and praise to the author of these marvelous deeds. But, and here is where the extra mile comes in, not only that, but we are called to respond in our own lives to what we have witnessed in the lives of others. As in the days of Jesus, these mighty deeds of power were not and are not meant to exclusively benefit the direct recipients. They are also collateral blessings that ripple out to all who learn of them. Knowing what God is capable of, we should rejoice. And knowing what God is capable of, we should repent. This is what I believe Jesus was teaching here in these uncomfortable verses. The divine might that has been and continues to be on display often takes the form of his blessing. But we are wise to recall that it can also take the form of his wrath for those who continue in their disregard for his commands. That is the great woe. And that is the truth which is too often unrecognized or ignored by those who wish to make a God in our own image. So, church, I pray that we may seek to be different having known Christ, that we have and would continue to repent of our rebellious ways, that it would go well for us and our heritage, that we would be the recipients of blessings and not reproach, for this is what Jesus wanted for his people and what the Father has gone out of his way to make possible for us. And for that, we may truly say, thanks be to God and amen. <laughs>